This episode of Teeming with Microbes is brought to you by Number Two Organics, made in partnership with Malibu Compost, Bigfoot Microbes, and Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers. Welcome, everyone, to the Teeming with Microbes podcast, our weekly deep dive into the rich and fertile world of the soil food web and organic gardening. We're breaking down all the science and handing out expert gardening advice while busting those long-held myths about how to help your garden grow. With the man who literally wrote the books on teeming with everything important in your soil, the Lord of the Roots himself, Jeff Lowenfels, and me, Jonathan White, the caffeinated gardener. From flowers to lawns to vegetables, heck, even your mind. Let's grow it all. Okay, Jeff. It is July in Anchorage, Alaska. Everyone's lawn should be looking good, except we both have our meadows that were mine is emerging. Yeah, and more and more people are are just adopting the idea that a green lawn is is a uniform height, it's a uniform plant, and that a meadow is a mixture of part lawn, grasses, dandelions, whatever the whatever the wind might blow in. Yeah. So on our property, we the front yard is just a dandelion meadow. And and there are some things There's that are more than dandelions. There are more than dandelions in there, but but I I mow it. So it's a maintained meadow and from a distance it looks like a lawn. Well, I had, I mean, talk about just these moments. We've had yeah. a challenging summer so right, far with right. weather, right? But I'm mowing the edge of what is oh, my current lawn nice. and my experimental meadow. Right. And a frog jumped out of the meadow. I had the same experience. Into the lawn. Yeah. And, and I thought, okay, there we go. Now that's now I know the meadow's working. Yeah. No, that's very, very true because in our backyard, we, we were doing the same thing. I'm just letting it grow like crazy. And, and because... You know, where we live, and it's the same as where you live, you want it to look okay to match yeah. the nature that sure. people are looking at because we're on the bluff overlooking five volcanoes. And Anyway, uh, I, I mowed a beautiful path through the thing, windy path, and sure enough, the same thing happened. A wood frog, which is, happens to be the only amphibian we have in Alaska, uh, they don't need necessarily water living in the winter. They just go out into the woods. They, they freeze. Their they blood to, becomes like antifreeze. It's incredible. Right? It's incredible. And they're beautiful little, little animals, and you want them because they eat. Insects. So let's talk about the progress. What I'm seeing, first of all, the dandelions, let's just describe what the dandelions went through. They went through the yellow phase, they went through the flower, and it was amazing. Even some of the wind, the flowers would hold on. We've talked about the physics of all of that. We're going to get that lady on at some point in time. But I was sitting there yesterday and I'm looking in and I see blue flowers in. This area. And what had happened, some of the violas, pansies from some of the containers we had volunteered and popped into it. Come on in. Uh, And then I was sitting there and I saw a tiger swallowtail. Now, how many times do you see a tiger swallowtail in Anchorage, Alaska? First, you're going to have to tell me what a tiger swallowtail is, and I'll tell you if I've ever seen one. It's that beautiful yellow butterfly with the black markings. You know, it's a full-size butterfly. Yeah, yeah. There was, you know, flitting around from dandelion to dandelion. I went, oh, my God, it is a meadow. Yeah. Frog. 
flowers that I didn't put in there, it's going to be spectacular. It's interesting. It's so crazy how my brain, I read all winter, I read about this, how yeah. to give back my yard. I have a, I have a big front yard that yeah. takes an hour to mow <laughs> on a riding mower, right? Yeah. And, and, um, and I used to be just, I wanted it to be immaculate. And I remember sure. my neighbor, Bob came over once and he made a joke about what is it? Th this, the masters yeah. trying to make your yard look yeah. like yeah. Uh, Augusta national. Right. And I've let it, I don't, I don't want to say I've let it go, but I'm letting it go. I'm giving, trying to give it back. And in the very front, there's a really nice screen. The false spirea is oh, taking over. Yeah. The yarrow's coming yeah. back in. And yeah. it's beginning to look more like something you'd see down in Jones Park right. rather than in my yard. Right. So, yeah, the butterflies. It's like the story we talked about with the golf course. You you, you leave stuff alone and, and nature will come back. Exactly right. Now, uh, the paths that we've put in. Because you got to have a little path through the meadow so that people know that you're not crazy, that you're doing this purposely. You haven't moved out. So on our front lawn, all of a sudden, I discovered creeping thyme. Very low, beautiful white flowers forms this unbelievable thick mat. Oh, my God. So I'm going to move some of that stuff into the pathway. So even the pathway becomes part of the whole scene. Then buttercup. I'm seeing buttercup. Now, it's an invasive, no question about it. It's it's in my front lawn. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go. And it's along the highway along with the lupins. You see lupin and buttercup. There's our yellow, <laughs> our Alaska flag colors. Uh, and you can pick that stuff up and put it in this meadow. Man, Are we it, doing something crazy here? I, uh, the, I know. So one of the articles I read, which I wanted to talk about, was the amount of work. Right. You know, like a lawn takes work every oh. week, mowing and yeah. and trimming and, and whatever. But a meadow, it turns out, is taking almost as much work, maybe more. My hope is once I get it to that point that it just does what it does every year. That's right. Well, there's two kinds of meadows. There's the Vogue magazine meadow. And the Vogue magazine meadow is is one that looks spectacular. Oh my God! You know the, the you, you see the trap family wandering through it, singing the song from the Sound of Music. The Von you know. trap family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it looks just spectacular, and and you can get that kind of meadow if you start with bare soil. You know, you throw down that seed and everything else. That seed has to have bare soil to really spread like crazy, uh, unless it's an underground. Around spreader. So, so really, most people don't have a meadow that looks like that landscape meadow. And, mood. those really require a tremendous amount of work. I think what we're developing is just sort of the natural. This is what it's going to be, uh, you know. And it's and it's and it's. If you wanted to plant stuff in it, you can, but you've got to dig it up and put in right. the soil. Right. The challenge that I'm facing, I'm sure you are too, is yeah. that it used to be a lawn. Right. So the grass. The dandelions, the equisetum, the butter and eggs, the clover right. is dominating. The false spirea is kind of coming back. But I'm really happy with, you know, the Sitka rose is beginning to really wow. spread through yeah. there. Yeah. And and so that's what I, I – exactly. I want more of a natural native species. Right. But right now it is a – it's a, it's, it's a mess. A, it's a mess, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's not. Uh, uh, it's not the best because it looks like I've just been ignoring it. Right. And those dandelions. One of our listeners said there are nine species of dandelions. One of them produces stalks that hold the seed head that must be two and a half feet Easily. tall. Massive. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious! And again, I'm amazed at how that thing sits there, fully in 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 seed, and they don't blow away until the Dandelion decides it's time to let them loose. Wow. Even in the wind that we've been it's having incredible. this summer. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. And, well, and 
you could you you could weed eat those down without hit, hitting the rest of the meadow and maybe reduce a little bit of it. But we got to see what happens. It's our experiment here, and I think it's happening all around the world. People have come to the conclusion a lawn is a stupid thing. It requires. Let's go through what it does require, regardless of whether a meadow requires as much work. It requires planting. It requires weeding. It requires feeding. It requires water. weeding and watering. That's an awful lot of effort. Not to mention the, the mowing oh. and the, the emissions, right, yeah. over the planet of everyone's lawnmower. Yeah, that, that, that's what really hurts me. I love to mow lawns. I'm a big pattern guy on the lawn. You come, you come to our house at any given time, and there'll be a different pattern on that lawn. You go, what? Circles. Ovals. I've put hearts in the lawn. One time, I even made the lawn herringbone height. So, I mean, I put the deck at an angle and went up and down and made a herringbone lawn. It was unbelievable. But then he moved on to yeah. making yellow jello. How'd that go, by the way? <laughs> Went great. <laughs> Went great. Those aphids are delicious. Have <laughs> you heard last week's episode, Jeff? Making yellow jello and then going to serve it to all the aphids in the in his greenhouse. They love little tea parties. Sending you're sitting crisscross applesauce doling out. They yellow love jello. sweetness. They love <laughs> sweet. That's very good. Yeah. All right. Well, our meadows are coming along. someday we should have a way we can show pictures of well, our we meadows will. and we'll share. We'll have pictures. a website with our yeah. subscribing, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and people can walk through the meadows with us. Speaking of the way to contact us, remember, we have an email. You can send us questions at teamingwithmicrobes at me.com. Tell good. us who you are, where you live, what you like. Tell us about your meadow and right. your experiments. Please right. send us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them week to week. Also, wherever you listen to podcasts, go and give Teeming with Microbes your favorite gardening uh, podcast. Give us a rating. Give us a review so we can spread the word to other folks I'll go one step further. If you if you tell us when you send in that question that you gave us a rating, I'll answer the question. Look at that. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, more with this week's Teeming with Microbes. Hey, teamers. Are you looking for a good, real organic, nutrient-dense, biologically active living soil? Check out the Farm-Made Organic Compost, Premium Organic Topsoil, and Premium Organic Potting Soil from Number 2 Organics. And for a limited time, you can get a super cool black and white Number 2 Organics tractor t-shirt like the one Jeff's wearing, woohoo, on our Instagram page with every purchase. Check out Number2Organics.com for all the details. You know the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover? Well, that's a lie. People will judge you for your terrible lawn. Make them think your life is back on track and clean up that yard with Bigfoot Microbes. Starting all over from seed, use our new Bigfoot Root Boost product. It helps boost your roots and naturally fixes nitrogen. It's a great alternative to the big box store's heavy salt and chemical-based products. If you're looking to repair your existing lawn, you can aerate with Bigfoot granular mycorrhizae and water in with Bigfoot concentrate mycorrhizae. You can do this. Bigfoot believes in you. Fix your life and your lawn with Bigfoot Microbes. You can find all Bigfoot products on Amazon. 
So, Jeff. Yes. You didn't buy any tomatoes from me this year. No. One of my favorite things as a small business owner over the years as a gardener, I, I let the two combine every now and again uh, at, at our Steam Dot Coffee cafes in the spring. I grow well over 100 tomato starts, mm. and we sell them uh, for, for cheap, but we sell them in the cafe. It's just a fun way. Yeah. But I, I grow them in my, in my special fancy secret coffee compost. Wow. Um, just compost. So they get the compost, too. They get the compost, too. They don't have to too. pull a plant and, out and, and take it home without... And this year, everyone got a free sample of Bigfoot Mycorrhizae, one of our sponsors. Whoa, so yeah. I just love that there are customers all over the city, all over the state, growing tomatoes that started in my humble little greenhouse. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I love well, it. No matter where you put those uh, tomatoes, inside or outside, this time of year, you should have tomatoes now. And those tomatoes need a certain kind of care uh, to make sure you maximize your harvest. Right. And we should talk about that. But I, I, I want to mention that you're on to something in terms of selling those tomatoes. My grandfather, he sold about 10,000 tomato plants every spring. Wow. He lived on, an, on a big piece of property that he treated as a farm. And he had greenhouses. And he, he grew these tomato plants. And he would just sell them because he'd like to talk to people. They, he'd put a big hand-painted sign up at the end of the driveway with a long, long driveway. And people would drive up and buy their tomatoes from A.L. the Butterman. And, and he became quite famous for these tomatoes. And so when they, he would advertise butter and he would be on radio, they always talked about tomatoes. So, so if he's up there listening right now, he's probably laughing his head off at the fact that his grandson is growing tomatoes, and he's talking to somebody who's yeah, starting his, gran his grandson's coffee boy is, is also growing tomatoes. And selling them, which <laughs> is really them. amazing. What I tend to do is I, I grow lots of tomatoes and bunches of them end up in the compost. Pile. Oh, because that you don't use them? or you know, yeah. How many can you grow? Oh, uh, that it breaks my heart. I can't do it. Too. It's Every, I, I've got I, some sitting in, 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 in the original pots right now, yeah. struggling. Leggy, just, leggy and... I yeah. don't want to kill them, but... Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. Every year I end up with I too many, and they end up in the greenhouse, and it's a forest. But so. it is, but it is a sign of your soil food web tenderness, if that's the proper Aww. term. It's nice of that you are nice concerned about your plants, because you know if you walk up to a tree, for example, or a tomato plant, and touch a leaf, the entire plant knows you're there. There is a signal sent through every single cell in that plant that you're there. So that's a very nice connection that you've got that you don't want to kill those plants. And I think they must sense that. They must. Yeah. So how, so how instead are Instead, we just eat their fruits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we break the law of return, right, which, which is why we back. put the mulch right. down. And well, when the plants are finished, we, we put them under. Right. How are your tomatoes? My tomatoes are doing well. They're not doing as well as they should be because... It's been a little cloudy and, and whatnot, but they're doing well. They're they're in flower. They've been pollinated, uh, and I and I really learned something. I, I feel stupid even admitting this. I learned something new this year that just makes so much sense. Now it turns out that tomato flowers have both female and male parts, and I used to tell people in my columns uh, that you would just you could take a Q-tip or a paintbrush and go from flower to flower and pollinate. But you don't have to do that. Uh, and then I would tell people that the experts say the best way to pollinate is is to vibrate the plant. And I always thought that's because it loosened up the, the pollen, it blew up into the air, and it pollinated different flowers, which does happen. But it really is self-pollinating the individual flower that has both parts in it. And they've got this 
this system that requires a certain kind of vibration. And so if you go into some professional tomato growing greenhouses, they've got a wire attached to the base, the stem of each plant so that they can stand on one end of the row and just tap that wire and it causes the vibration in the stem to go up into the flower and just pollinate the Wow. Yeah. So I, was, I don't know why you'd feel stupid about learning well, that. Well, because I was telling people to do all this work. You know, the, the idea of using the soil food web is to reduce the amount of work. Let nature do what it's supposed to do. This is a perfect example of what nature's supposed to do. That plant's got everything it needs. And here I was suggesting people kind of mess up the system in a way by going flower to flower with a paintbrush. Okay. I stopped. Yeah, I, I, I don't do I my tomatoes. I may bang the, the tomato yeah. cage in the mornings when it's a little humid. You don't use the electric toothbrush? I have it for years and I yeah. get bounties, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I do spend half my life, it feels like, with a Q-tip between the melons and the cucumbers right. and the zucchini and everything Those are else. different. Yeah, those are different. Very but I always love it. I'll walk in the greenhouse and somehow a, a bee or two got in there and I'm right. like, okay, go ahead. Do, right, uh, right, right, right. Which is one down. reason why you really don't want to necessarily keep all the aphids out. You want the bees and, other, and dragonflies particularly to come in. But the flowers are, are now turning into fruit and people start to complain about problems with their fruits this time of year. For example, some people complain that the fruits are falling off. Well, why would a fruit fall off? I can think of a couple of reasons. You're not watering the plants. Or You're, too much. Or too much. Inconsistent watering, yep. Temperature. Temperature below 55 degrees prevents the flowers from setting into good fruits. And if the fruits are young enough, they'll fall off along with the, with the flower. So you've got to keep a nice temperature at night. Uh, and the temperature is important for other reasons. If, you, if your temperature is below let's say 60 degrees, they, they think the official number is 59 degrees, you can end up with these girdled, cracked up looking tomatoes, uh, which is just a temperature. Well, and the most common one with tomatoes, especially larger tomatoes, yeah. is the cat face at the yeah. bottom, right? right and that's, right. that's in inconsistent watering and be right. too much, too little. But cherry tomatoes usually don't have those problems. What most people have the problem with cherry tomatoes is they pick them too late and right. the skin cracks right. and you wind up with right, cracked right, and then right, rotted right. fruit. So how should you water them? I mean, the, the, the thing about tomatoes is, is again, because the, the, they are the holy grail of plants, maybe cannabis these days for some people, but it's the holy grail of plant for most yardner gardeners. Uh, and people compete and try to grow the biggest and the best and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you just, you, you have to, you have to water them maybe an inch a week. And you have to do it so that it's deep watering. You put the mulch down on top of it so that the water remains in the area of the root system. And, and you try not to water them every time you walk by them just because the surface might feel a little dry or the mulch might be drying out. It's two, two things people do to tomatoes. One is they... They overwater. Of course, underwatering as well, but they really overwater because it's just you're, you're looking at them all the time. 
And two, as you say, they let the fruit sit there for too long. I don't know why. You know, they're, oh, you know, I want my, I want, I want everybody to see my tomatoes. Right. No, eat them. Eat them. Eat them. I, I, I tell you, this is where clover as a cover crop mm. for a tomato, especially in a in a pot mm-hmm. in a greenhouse, is magic because uh, you hit it on the head. I, I'll water my tomatoes typically in the morning, mm-hmm. ready for the day. Right, if it gets hot in there, though, that clover keeps the top. Not only moist and right. keeps the water there, but it keeps it cooler. Yeah, it doesn't keep the sun. It keeps right. the sun from kind of, you know, um, from blazing in there. Right. So, I get a lot of questions about tomatoes. Yeah. People know that I love to grow tomatoes. Yeah, and the the assumption is maybe through great marketing is that now is the time when your fruit's about to set to pour in all these chemicals and get those give the fruit what it needs to yeah. taste uh, uh, but really it's too late yeah you needed to have fertilized or fed the microbes given them what they need weeks ago maybe months ago right. to make it available in the soil except for maybe one thing epsom salts well sometimes it is useful but it's it's really very controversial, and, and and garden writers are arguing about whether it makes any sense. So what is Epsom salt? Magnesium sulfate. So it's sulfur and magnesium. Do your tomatoes really need it? Magnesium is in all soils. I mean, I, you know, it's not something you, you go to the nursery and, and have to say, oh, you have any magnesium? I need some. Ma-. No. I mean, and in fact, if you don't really test your soil very carefully— you don't need magnesium. You don't need to add magnesium. It's in your soil. Uh, but but the sulfur is a little slightly different. Sometimes you do need to add sulfur. Sometimes you don't. But the only way you can tell is to test That's the soil. soil. Um, but by and large, if you chemically you're, test the soil as opposed to you know for the biology, you really want to make sure you've got the right nutrients available. And the point is that if this was your lawn or somewhere in a forest, yeah. the, the it's infinite the amount of of nutrients that are in the soil, and 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 over time, right. the plants that grow where they grow grow because it has the perfect mixture of what they need. If you're in a pot, yeah, you need to make sure that over the months or years that you're doing this. Testing is the only way. It's, right. it's incredible to me how easy it is with these kits we've talked about in the past yeah. or send it away or whatever. Right, right. But if you've tended to the foil, soil food web, if you've made sure that you're feeding the microbes, you, you really shouldn't need any other major amendments to make a tomato grow right. and fruit and taste good. That's the other thing. A lot of times people will say, my tomatoes don't taste right. And they wonder why, because they've been putting all these chemicals. chemicals. Yeah, so the they taste like nitro- They taste like artificial nitrogen instead of what they're supposed to taste like. But you're absolutely right. People need to pay attention in the fall on that soil, so that in the spring it's got everything that you need. The other uh, thing that you start to see are yellowing leaves or spotting leaves, mm-hmm. particularly toward the bottom of the plant. Sometimes from splashing water right. gets up on those leaves. Right. But at this point, the the photosynthesis the leaves are bringing in, most of it is directed to the to growing the fruit. Now. Absolutely, the plant isn't growing as much. Well, it's, unless it's an indeterminate, indeterminate yeah. right? And so we've talked a lot about in the past pinching flowers like cosmos and yeah. and to make them kind of bush. Same with a tomato, right? But you got to be careful. And if you stress a plant out when it's fruiting or beginning to convert the flower to the fruit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can disrupt that That's cycle right. also. That's right. But let's go back to those yellow leaves down at the bottom too. Get rid of those. 
cut them off. I mean, again, those are those are potential viruses in the making. And your tomato plant's not wearing masks. I always refer to that. Uh, and so you've got to be very, very careful. You remove that stuff. And, and you're right. Water splashes off the soil and it gets on those leaves. And the next thing you know, you're in trouble. Don't water your plants, tomato plants, from the top. You water the soil, not the plant itself. I think you told me years ago, and I, I probably will mess this up, but I think you told me once that a tomato plant only needs something like five branches. Is that right? Five? No, 27, 27, 27 leaves. leaves. Yeah. Right. But it, if there's five main branches. Yeah. yeah. Should work. Yeah. And it's amazing how young they can be. And it just shows you how, how desperate plants are to produce. And so they really produce early. And we're lucky that we're able to grow them indoors in greenhouses here, although it's getting a little bit easier to grow some varieties outdoors. It's the 55 degrees that we worry about. Tomatoes are now being developed that have had origins in Siberia. And so now they've got the genes that are able to handle uh, some of the well, some, some of the tomatoes that I grew and sold this year were the glacier. Oh yeah, that's variety. A, that yeah. was the first one. Apparently, the seeds were smuggled in the headscarf of a woman. I don't know if that's true, but I I'm, I'm, that Seriously. is now true. And actually, the way they, the way they told it was a peasant woman. Peasant woman. Yeah, you know, oh. she was probably incredibly wealthy, and she was wearing a beautiful scarf. Right. But no, but they say it was a peasant woman snuck them in from Siberia. All right, so that's our tomato advice. Oh, We'd wait, love wait, 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 oh. but let's talk about indeterminate and indeterminate. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so you've got two kinds of tomatoes, as most people know, and, and, and one kind is sort of like a tree. They just grow to a certain height and a certain number of branches, and uh, the other kind is like a vine. Well, they'll continue to vine forever. You can grow tomato. They're a perennial, actually. You can grow five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years if you keep it in a window, and it'll produce every year. It's phenomenal. Those vine ones, this time of year, you might want to cut back all the vines except for maybe one, maybe two. You might want to cut them all back, depending on how big your plants are, but it is necessary to do that. And those suckers you have to watch as well, and you need to stake tomato plants because the weight of the fruit. Right. The other greenhouse favorite, especially here in Anchorage, Alaska, cucumbers. Oh, yes. And those will grow 30 feet high if you let them. Yes. Uh, in my experience, depending on the variety, that is a plant that really benefits from pinching off. Let, you know, don't let it get too high. Don't, don't let all the side branches go. Right. And if you do, let it, what is it, two cucumbers per vine or yeah. something. You want yeah. to focus the— Get nice ones. Yeah, and— And, and pick often. That's, that's been one of the best bits of advice I've had over the years is don't let your cucumbers grow. <laughs> you know, you don't want those things 42 inches long. Yeah. Pick them when they're— And, and that, it'll, it'll, it'll just keep setting fruit, keep setting fruit. Yeah, there, you know, there's this thing I always call it the Aunt Sally, Uncle Bob syndrome. You know, you've got a garden, you're in Anchorage, Alaska, it doesn't matter whether you're in Scotland, whether you're in uh, Texas, it doesn't matter where you are, you've got a garden, and you're pretty darn proud of your garden. And look at this, it's got cucumbers and things to eat in it and everything else, and and so you want to kind of show it off, and you know, Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally are coming to visit in a couple of weeks, and if I pick them now, they'll think I'm a lousy garden. So you leave them. That's a bad idea. You want to, the reason you're growing it yourself is so that you can pick it, and eat, eat it, it fresh. Right. 
and at the and pick it at the right time as opposed to in the supermarket it's picked when it's a different color so that it can spend the 15 days travel whatever it takes and ripen on you know on, on the truck as opposed to in on the vine so yeah very important all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about annual flowers. We talk a lot of vegetables on this show. I think it's because we're both— We like vegetables. That's our deal. But um, obviously, flowers and perennials and annuals are a big deal for gardeners and yardeners. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers has been a partner of organic gardeners for more than 40 years. With a full range of OMRI-listed and organic-approved products featuring a wide variety of premium organic blends and a diverse selection of single-ingredient inputs, Down to Earth is dedicated to using the highest quality natural ingredients available, including marine proteins, natural minerals, and biological soil additives. Down to Earth all-natural fertilizers can be found nationwide in independent home and garden centers, so you should ask your retailer for down-to-earth products. Look for that compostable box or find us at downtoearthfertilizer.com. So other than the fantastic ribs at your annual 4th yeah. of July barbecue, yeah. it's just a pleasure walking around your yard. And your wife, we should note, is a fantastic gardener. Right, she does most of the work. Because very, very I have arthritis. <laughs> yeah, she's, yeah, she's. You write about it and talk about I it. I have a T-shirt that says "Garden Muscle" on it. It really belongs to her. Oh, yeah, or should. Fantastic. Yeah. The perennials that we're all growing and looking at may seem like they don't need a lot of work. Are there perennials, by the way, that can benefit from pin the same pinching technique we talk about with flowers like Cosmos? and Or do those things sort of, perennials want to grow and want to grow to the size they grow to? Yeah, I've never, I'm sure there are. I've never pinched back a perennial, frankly. Uh, I'm sure there are, but yeah. I can't think of one. So anyway, this time of year in July, yeah. had some rain, had a lot of wind. Yeah. A lot of the annuals we grow need to be deadheaded. And why, yeah. you've told me this before. Deadheading is really important, but not maybe the reason people think. Well, you deadhead for two reasons. One is it's ugly uh, and you want the plant to continue to flower. So so when you pull off the, the, the flower as it's beginning to produce seeds, the plant goes, hey, those were my seeds. I need those to reproduce. And so it produces a new one. It also tend to thicken out the plant and make it a bit. So like the cosmos that we all love, uh, you know, they, they really respond to deadheading because it acts the same way as pinching them back. Right. You look at certain plants and you know that they're going to branch out when you pinch them. What I look for in particular are square stems. Some stems are round and some stems have literal sides to them. And the square stems tend to branch out because they tend to be symmetrical branching. The branches come off at the same point on opposite sides of the stem, whereas uh, round ones tend to be usually asymmetrical. You get, a, you get a branch, a little bit of a stalk, and then another branch on the other side, and so they don't come across from each other. So so th those are some of the reasons. Let's see, there was a one other reason why you take them off. Well, the plant is using all the nutrients That's what to produce those seeds. Uh, and so you want to you make sure that you have flowers for the rest of the season. You don't want the nutrients to disappear. Since under our organic system, it's easier and better to, to fertilize in the fall 
so that you get the use in the spring, you you know, you really you really don't want to waste nutrients. Now, you can put kelp down along the sides, uh, side dress, and and it'll it'll give some nutrient nitrogen. Value. Yeah, we can combine you know our love for growing vegetables and our love for growing flowers. We can combine them because there's a lot of flowers that uh, will benefit a garden, keeps away pests, right. brings in pollinators. That's kind of the new thing too, the designing the garden. So you have a little bit of green with the lettuce and then you got some flowers over here. And Right. But the the delphinium right now Oof. should be all stocked out. By the way, the golden ratio, have you heard of the golden ratio? Yes. Fabonacci. Yeah. It's one of the few flowers oh, really? in the world with the golden ratio. Ah, and when the bee, when you watch a bee pollinate, they go from the bottom around and up the spiral. It's fascinating. Really? Yeah. You should sit there for like an hour and watch. Oh, sure. Just yeah, sit there really for an hour and watch a bee pollinate a delphinium. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, we don't all have the time, Jeff, to make yellow Well, what are you jello. doing in the garden? The soil food web should be doing your work for you, you know, but, but, it, but, but it is important to watch how these things pollinate. Uh, so that you get a better appreciation. I just love the idea of my wife stumbling upon that. Like, why are you sitting on the lawn staring at a delphinium? Shh, shh. Yeah. We're getting into the age. We're now, getting into the age where my wife would go, "Do I need to be worried?" <laughs> <laughs> if you Google the the Fibonacci, or I think it's Fibonacci, the yeah. golden ratio, the yeah. delphinium. But staking these things are really important. There's a lot of fl uh, flowers that you don't want to deadhead. You want to let them go right. because they're going to – that's what they do. They're like fireworks. They're going to grow to the top and explode right. and then die back. Right. So you have some flowers that grow the flower and some flowers that turn the seed quickly. This is the ones that turn the seed quickly that you want to, you want to deadhead. But the ones that grow, you, you don't deadhead. Unless you're trying to get the, a really gigantic flower. So, for example, delphiniums. The way a lot of people win the Alaska State Fair ribbon is they pull off every flower except for one. And they just baby that one flower and make sure that nothing harms like it. Like a pumpkin, right? They, yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. So back to the beneficial God. annuals in a garden. Yeah. Marigolds. Right. Very Can be very beneficial. Yeah. You know, people used to... When they talked about companion planting, that's what this is, they used to talk about it in a way that it just sounded like something was happening down in the soil and the soil. But that's not really what it is. It's what happens above ground. They, they act as attractants for pests that would attack the plant that is planted next to. That's basically what happens. Now, at the same or time— Or ward them away, right? Or, or ward them away, exactly. Now, at the same time, they are helping the soil— by their root systems, et cetera, and they're putting their extra dates down so that they can support each other instead of increasing the diversity, let's put it that way. Um, but marigolds are, are, are useful. There's a tremendous number of, of annuals that people put in and even perennials as well. And what the advice now is, depending on how big your garden is, either you create a pot full of various different plants and you put it in your garden or you have a strip either in the garden or on the side of the garden, where you grow these things. And they act as a magnet to bring some of the some of the. What are some away. other What are some other um, good companion plants for uh, the gardener for other plants? Well, this feels like cheating, but how about sunflowers or zinnias or alyssum? It sounds like maybe you're reading this. I, yeah, don't know. I am because you stumped <laughs> me on that question, and I have to be honest to yes, the, to the coffee listener. Coffee boy champion. It is important to think about these companion plantings because. It is a tool that's available that we tend not to use. Yeah, um, you know, we go to the nursery if we're if we're not growing our own seedlings, 
and and we we buy things that we think are going to be pretty and we stick them in the ground without without thinking about how we're going to protect them what we're going to do we just figure okay that's part of gardening we'll just take care of the problem when it occurs the reason why I asked this question yeah. is twofold. The second part of it is I get a lot of questions fr- from folks who say, I like to put my XYZ annual, right. which likes a different kind of compost, different kind of soil, sure. than, and I put it next to my perennial, which needs XYZ, right. which needs a different, and they worry about, oh, can I put this? And the answer is, of course, you can put them together. But which one would you prioritize taking care of? Yeah, that's a tough one. Well, the perennial. The perennial. First of all, it's going to be much more expensive. Year. Correct. Right. <laughs> and it's coming back next year. So, so yeah, I'd be aiming on the perennial. I'd want the annual to be able to adjust to what the perennial has. And as a reminder, folks, the Soil Food Web, the annuals typically like a green, right. a type green of com- compost, mulch, right. green mulch, whereas a perennial wants a brown right. Bark mulch, right. that kind of thing. Because the things that are in the ground for a long time, they develop this relationship with the fungal network. Fungal network. And so you want to have that. Whereas things that are in the ground for just less than a year, the annuals, they really appreciate the bacteria. And the bacteria do better with these green green mulches. And straw is a green mulch. But it doesn't mean they can't thrive together. No. They're just going to take what they need as long as you have enough for both. Exactly. They may be, you know, the annuals might grow a little slower. You have to experiment and find out. Now, you know, it brings up an interesting thought, and it's not something that most people do, but it is something that people should be thinking about doing if they want to use the soil food web to its maximum. So I visit a lot of people's gardens, and I go into some gardens, and I see a plant that I have in my garden that I know is in a pretty good location, and it's not doing as well as their plant is. What I should be doing is taking some of their soil and bringing it back to my plant and using that soil in my plant. And over time, it'll become... Right, yeah. right. Now, that's what Dr. Elaine Ingham originally did. She'd go around the world, and if you had a lemon that was phenomenal, she studied that soil, and she knew the microbiology that you needed to have to grow phenomenal lemons. And if she saw a watermelon, you know, she would... Do so. so she knew and figured out the system, and that's what we need to be doing. We, we tend, again, to be pretty lazy... Uh, you know, we do these little rote things that people have taught us over the years, mostly our parents, and they come from our grand grandparents, and they probably have no scientific basis. We really need to be thinking what we're doing. And when we start thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it and what you're impacting, uh, we haven't even begun in this in this series to talk about what happens inside the plant cells themselves, which which is a fascinating thing we'll, we'll delve into, you get a richness, an appreciation for what's going on. And it makes gardening completely different. It's like going to a museum and looking at a painting and not having any idea or going to a museum after you've taken a couple of fine arts courses and looking at a painting and understanding what or you're looking at. Or being a painter. Exactly. All right. Well, these a lot of these things we're talking about today came from questions from right. our Teaming with Microbes at me.com email. Send us your questions, folks. We'll get it on the air. And, and comments, too, for that and matter. Comments. I mean, if you think we've made a mistake or or you like to amplify something we've said, send it in. Funny anecdotes about Jello. Right. We welcome it all. Yes. Until then, folks, get out there, get gardening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to this edition of Teeming with Microbes. 
Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing this gardening season. Jeff and I wrote this episode with additional production and editing by Evan Phillips of Podpeak. You can find him at podpeak.com. Our music is also by Evan Phillips. Thanks, as always, to the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our show. And don't forget to catch Jeff's weekly gardening column in each Friday's edition. We'll be back next week with another edition of Teeming with Microbes. Until then, get out there, get your hands dirty, and get growing. As always, thanks for listening to me and Jeff on this podcast. We're brought to you by Number Two Organics, made in partnership with Malibu Compost, Bigfoot Microbes, and down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers.